Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day and that we can be here together to worship you, to fellowship together, and to just be in this space. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit here today to just work on the hearts of each person here, whether they're in the building or listening online, I ask that you just work on their hearts. Speak through me and help this message to touch just one person. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everybody. Let me get my water. Thank you so much for another opportunity to come and share with y'all. Today's message, I want to introduce it first off um, with a little bit of a personal story. I really love personal stories. Um, this one started um, with my family. It was back in May 22nd of 2011. Joe, our daughter, Paige, who was about two and a half at the time, um, we were headed up to this firehouse in our hometown, and we were going to a birthday party for our neighbor, Betty, who was turning 84. And Joe was calling me to get in the car, but I was busy taking pictures of these incredible storm clouds that were in the sky. They were like nothing I'd ever seen before. Super layered and full, really dark gray with this hint of green along the edges. And so Paige is in the back seat of the car and she's mimicking my excitement as we're driving up to the firehouse. And she's like, clouds, clouds, clouds. And so we get to the party and we're there for about an hour. And then someone comes in and they tell us there's a really bad storm coming, y'all better head home. And so we start to pack up and head home. And I'm looking up at the sky and it's just this crazy cloud that I've never seen off in the distance. And so I tell Joe like, what is that? And he looks at it and he's like, that is crazy. It's not like anything that um, we'd ever seen. And so Joe's like, it's rain. That is a rain cloud, a giant rain cloud, but it's a rain cloud. And so he's like, if we, if we hurry up, we can get home. We were about a minute away from the house. And so we're darting down the streets trying to get back to our place. And before we even make it about two blocks, the rain starts pelting the glass. And I look up into the sky and these clouds are just, they are so different. They're, they're kind of concerning. And I start to get this weird feeling um, coming up in my stomach. And I just look at Joe and I scream, go, hurry, hurry. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know, something's wrong. Hurry, get home. So we pull into the driveway and we grab Paige from the back seat, get to the back door. And we look up and that's when we see it. The clouds are now twisting in on themselves, almost like they're eating themselves. It was this really eerie, eerie um, thing to see. And it's not rain that's coming down, but we see as the clouds are moving that this is a tornado coming right at us. And so I'm fumbling with my keys, trying to find the right one. Now, let me tell you, this is kind of crazy. The day before, I had gone and had my house key printed onto a bright blue key because I always got it confused with the rest of my keys. And so I feel like that was a God moment for sure because right now, all I see is that bright blue key and I'm able to get that door unlocked and we get inside. So we get in the bathtub, Joe's calling out for what to do, get Paige, I'm gonna get the dog. We all get in the bathtub, 
Um, I'm leaning over Paige and the dog, and Joe comes running into the bathroom with Paige's like crib mattress, and he puts it on top of us, and then he lays over it to hold it down. And I'm screaming, like, get in the tub. You're not safe on the outside of the bathtub. And he's like, I can't. The mattress is not going to stay down if I get in the tub. And at that moment, the tornado hits like a freight train ripping down the street. We hear glass breaking and my cat somewhere in the house screaming. The only thing I could say was, Joe. He could hear the fear in my voice. And he says, so calm, it's okay. Don't be afraid, it's going to be okay. He was so confident and calm, and I believed him. Then as soon as it was upon us, the tornado was gone. Joe pulls the mattress off of us and he's like, it's over. Our family walks out of the bathroom. We see most of the windows in our house are broken. The chimney is in our living room on our couch. The front porch is almost ripped completely off the front of the house. Trees are in neighbors' houses. Some neighbors' houses are completely gone. Cars are flipped over. A whole backyard, our whole backyard, Paige's swing set, gone. We found it two days later in a neighbor's house four blocks away. The tornado destroyed most of our town of Ringgold, Georgia, then went on to become one of the deadliest tornadoes hitting Appleton, Tennessee and Joplin, Missouri. Our lives were miraculously spared. And I asked Joe later why he was so calm. How was he so calm in that moment? Because I definitely wasn't. And he told me I was confident that God would take care of us. And I knew that even if the tornado hit us, he was right there. Confident faith. Joe was the rock in that storm that gave me hope. John 16, says, and in the Amplified Bible, I love the way it says it, in the world you have tribulation and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. That's an incredible verse. Confident faith. This is the kind of faith that sustains you in the storm. This is the kind of faith that prepares you for impact. Even though we were in the middle of this horrible storm, Joe's faith reminded me who was in control of our lives. His faith and calm in this storm Reminded me of a story in the Bible, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, about a man who showed that same confident faith. And this story picks up in Acts 27, if you want to follow along, along Acts 27. And I'll just be giving verse prompts so you guys can see where I'm at in the story. So Paul is elderly at this point. His health is not the greatest. He is now a prisoner of Rome, chained aboard a ship, headed on a long journey to Italy. Also on board are his friends Luke, a doctor and also the author of Acts, and Aristarchus, a Macedonian and friend who was likely voluntarily imprisoned with Paul so that he could minister to him. Paul's guard was a centurion named Julius who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. 
And the first leg of the trip was a success. And upon docking, Julius allowed Paul to go to his Christian friends for care. This was incredibly nice. Acts 27 verse 3 says that Julius did this to be kind to Paul. So on the next leg of the trip, the ship was going against the wind and was being pushed off course from their final destination. Finally making it, they dock, and the centurion had the group swap vessels, boarding an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. The sail from this harbor was slow. The wind was pushing against them and pushed them off course, and after several days of difficult sailing, they finally anchored in a place called Fair Havens. They had lost so much time, and sailing was now extremely dangerous. Verse 9 says that this was right after the Day of Atonement, which basically just means it's a time of year where the storm swells are really life-threatening and just a bad time to go sailing. Everyone knew not to sail during this time. It was just way too dangerous. So keep in mind, Paul has been in several other shipwrecks in his lifetime and is probably having a little deja vu right now. He hears the way the ship is moving over the water, how the wind is pushing against them. He likely notices the struggle of the crew on board. This is very familiar for him. And so he turns to the centurion and his friends, and he's like, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and even to our own lives. But Julius didn't listen. The captain wanted to move and to get to a more suitable harbor for winter. The majority on board decided to sail on to reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, and winter down there. Now, Paul and his companions had no choice. There was 276 people on board. They were outnumbered. And so at the first south wind, the captain saw his opportunity and sailed out of the haven. As they sailed along the shore of Crete, an intense hurricane-force wind called the Northeaster swept down from the island. And instantly, this huge ship was caught up in the storm and couldn't maintain its course. The crew fought against the wind, but finally gave way to it and let the winds drive the mighty vessel through the sea. The storm picked up momentum, tossing the lifeboat that was being towed behind. So the crew struggled with all their might to get this lifeboat hoisted up onto deck. This boat was their lifeline if the ship were to take on water. The storm tossed the massive ship like a toy through the sea. With each wave crashing onto the deck, the situation became worse. The hurricane winds felt like they would rip the ship apart. So the crew jump into action. Verse 17 says, they began frapping the ship by running ropes underneath it to hold it together. And as they careened through the Mediterranean, they thought they were going to run aground. To avoid this, they had to lower their sails. Verse 17 says, they lowered the sea anchor, but that just means they lowered the sail, the gear, everything. They didn't want it to get ripped apart. They weren't actually dragging anchor. So you're picturing this, right? This giant Alexandrian merchant ship full of grain to be sold, 276 people on board, including all their supplies, food, everything, sailing completely out of control on the open sea. Their sails are down, their gear is up, and there's nothing they can do but hold on for the ride. And oh, what a ride they were in for. 
day two, the storm is just as violent and they need to lighten their load to ride lighter on the water. And so over the side goes the cargo. On day three of the storm, they are still not faring much better, so over the side goes the tackle. And this is most of the riggings, and it was really heavy, and it probably took everybody on board helping them get that over the side. Verse 20 says, no sun or stars could be seen. Meaning what? No navigation. There was nothing. Everything was completely up in the air. So all hope is gone. A ship without a way to navigate is quite literally lost at sea. So days and days went by, fighting to survive in this storm. No one is preparing food, let alone eating anything. Everyone is just working to keep the ship from sinking. And if we're going to really paint this picture, there's probably a lot of really seasick people on this boat. I imagine they're all collapsed and completely exhausted. They've completely lost hope. They don't know where they're going. Then here comes Paul, standing before them. He's been there the whole time, but while they're trying to keep the ship going and losing hope, he's praying to his almighty Father. Verse 21, he says to them, you should have taken my advice and not left. Then you would have been spared your, your lives, your, the ship, all the things that you have had to throw over would have been spared. But now is not the time to give up. Keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What? All eyes are on Paul as he tells them about this angel of God he serves, telling him not to be afraid and how God will save each person on board. Keep your courage, Paul cries out, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. But we must run aground. Think about this moment for a second. To go from hopelessness and thinking you're going to die to then listening to this feeble old man say that you will survive, but you're going to crash first. Do you believe him? You want that hope. You need that hope. The ship is driven across the sea in this storm for 14 days, 14 days that I'm sure felt like an eternity. And about midnight on the 14th day, the sailors heard breakers and knew they were getting closer to land. They couldn't see, so they checked the depth of the water a couple of different times and saw that it was getting shallower. What if they hit the rocks? They had no light to guide them, and so to keep the boat from swinging, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. But some of the sailors didn't want to risk it. We're really going to listen to this old guy over here? He's a prisoner. Do you even believe him? They wanted off this boat that they were already told was going to crash. So they head up to the bow and pretend to drop in some anchors. But what they were really doing was lowering the lifeboat so they could escape. Seeing what they're up to, Paul yells out to Julius and the soldiers, verse 31, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. You remember the first time Paul told Julius what to do? Did he listen? No. But he's not making that same mistake twice. 
The soldiers jumped up, cut the ropes to the lifeboat, and let it drift away, possibly a last hope of escape before running aground. They had all tried everything to save themselves. What was left? Just before dawn, Paul encourages everyone to eat, since no one had really eaten much for about two weeks. He took some bread, he gave thanks in front of everyone on board, and then he broke the bread, passed it around, and he said, you will need this to survive. Not one of you will lose a hair on your head. After eating, there was only one thing left to do. Running aground was now their reality. The ship was leaking after being badly damaged in the storm. This was their only hope of survival. The only thing left on board was the grain, the profits of the vessel. No grain, no money. They tossed it into the sea. They were in pure survival mode now. When daylight came, verse 39 says that they didn't know where they were, but they saw a bay with this sandy beach, and they knew that that was the place they wanted to run aground. They cut loose the anchors, untied the ropes of the rudders, then hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made their way toward the beach. But what they didn't see between them and the beach, a sandbar hitting it at full force. The jerk probably sent everyone flying across the deck. A cracking sound could be heard as the stern began breaking into pieces. They were not gonna make it to the beach. Panicked, the soldiers grabbed all of their prisoners and began lining them up before they could escape because they knew the Roman law. They knew that if their prisoners escaped, that they would receive the punishment of those prisoners, which in most cases was death. And so the law allowed them to kill all the prisoners to prevent them from escaping. And so as they're lining them up for this gruesome task, the centurion Julius sees them. Verse 43 says, he intervened in that moment because he wanted to spare Paul's life. He then ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were to find something they could float on and try to make it to shore. And as the ship broke apart around them, all 276 passengers jumped in the water and all 276 passengers made it to the beach safely, just as the angel of the Lord had told Paul. They survived. How parallel is this story to our lives? You may not see it at first glance, but think about it for a minute. There are many kinds of storms that we face in our lives. There are the preventable storms that could be avoided if we'd listened to God or taken the advice of someone older, wiser, someone who maybe had experienced some, a similar situation. Paul tried to stop them, He'd been there, done that, and knew what was gonna happen. Then there are the unexpected storms that hit us because, well, we live in this sinful world where happiness and health and prosperity, there is no guarantee of any of that. We live in a place where the devil attacks us at every single turn, and he pushes against us with hurricane force 
to break us, to scare us, to make us lose hope. But Paul teaches us something in this story that is invaluable in the storm. It was the same thing that I saw with Joe in the tornado. Confident faith. Paul had confident faith because he knew who was in control of his life. He knew no matter the force of the storm or the destruction of the storm that God was in control of his life. The storm didn't have the power to take his faith. The devil didn't have the power to destroy his confidence in his savior. Even when he knew the end result would be to crash. We so often talk about God getting us through the storm or pulling us out of the storm. But what about him getting us through the crash or the impact? Knowing we're gonna crash can be the hardest part. That can be the part that breaks us. We do everything in our own power to save ourselves, to avoid the crash. Where is our faith? Christian evangelist John Muller says, faith does not operate in the realm of possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. It isn't until we stop trying to hold everything together with our own power and give ourselves fully over to God that we see his power. Will we always come out of the storm unscathed? No. Sometimes we'll be left with scars. And Jesus has scars to prove that he's there with us too. So what do we do in the storm, especially when we know when we're going to run aground? We stand like Paul, encouraging others, helping them stay calm. Don't be afraid. God is here. This kind of faith is the faith that we'll, people will take notice of. This is the kind of faith that will make people believe, just like the centurion, just like the people in that boat with Paul. This kind of faith is not something that just happens. It takes us looking at ourselves and asking the question, who is in control of my life? If you want God to take control of your life, if you want this confident faith to make it through the storms that we face in our lives, in your life, the storms in your life, if you want a faith that can stand up to knowing you may crash. Please stand with me as we close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, each of us here has our own storms that we're going through. Some of us have been through storms and we have felt that impact, but God, we know you are there. I ask that you just go with each person today and help them feel your presence in that storm that they're in. Be with them in that impact. Help them feel your presence. You have gone before us and given us this amazing gift of salvation. And God, I ask that you walk with us and help us be able to have this confident faith that in the midst of the battles that we are struggling with in our own lives, that you help give us this confident faith like Paul to stand in that storm and say, it's gonna be okay. Even if we crash, God is here. May we go out from this place and be a shining light to each person that we meet. And may they see you in us. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.